Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The NFL dominating this Monday edition. College football has its shine tonight with Alabama and Georgia. Coming up in 20 minutes, we'll be chatting with Trey Wallace live from Indianapolis from Outkick.com. Looking forward to that. Welcome to 6th and Peabody alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, no PK today. Hopefully back with us tomorrow as we broadcast with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. This is a great spot. If you're in Nashville or in Middle Tennessee, if you're visiting in any for any reason, the Titans are going to be hosting uh, at least one playoff game. We know that. The Titans the number one seed, uh, and they'll be hosting the lowest remaining seed a week from what I would suspect would be Saturday, um, Saturday or Sunday, and uh, the 22nd or 23rd, I believe, are the two dates there, Chad. But that is this correct. is a great spot to come hang if you're a fan of the visiting team or whatever. Come watch some playoff football here. It's going to be packed, and I'm with you, Hutton, I'm guessing, on Saturday, January 22nd, when the Titans host a playoff game, 6th and Peabody will be ready to rock and roll. They're always ready to rock and roll at 6th and Peabody. Well, we know on that, on that following Sunday, the Rams or the Cardinals will be playing because they are playing on Monday, and there's no way the NFL would then schedule the winner of that game on Saturday. So they go from Monday night to play on Sunday in the divisional round. Um Cardinals and uh, Cardinals and Rams still alive. We did our playoff picks in a draft last week. Here's what's remaining. Uh, great logo here from David Reed as we kind of run through it, but you can see uh, I've no longer have the Colts available uh, in my fourth pick. I went with teams that can run the football uh, and they, or or that play solid defense and that can control games. Uh, Colts are eliminated for me. Saints didn't make the postseason either. Uh, on the week's final or the, the 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 NFL's final week of the season, and Koharski loses the Chargers, which is the biggest surprise uh, because he was probably expecting to lose the Raiders of those two teams. Uh, Vegas gets in in a win and in scenario last night in an epic finish to the NFL season, where three games went to overtime, and all three games in those overtime wins impacted the playoffs, where all three teams who won got in. San Francisco uh, got in with the overtime victory. Uh, the Steelers are in. And, of course, last night with the Raiders. So you guys now have both of your fourth picks out, my fifth pick eliminated uh, with the Saints in our, our playoff draft. This, this thing is as wide open as I can remember. I, I asked the question on Twitter, and I'll, I'll ask you, Chad, what are you certain of in, in this postseason as we get set to kick it off in six days? I'm certain of two things, Hutton. One... To repeat a previous point, people will watch. Oh, yes, people will watch. A lot of you will be watching all these playoff games. Two, Big Ben and Pittsburgh are about to get hammered in KC, just like they did 15 days ago. Yeah, my, Those are the only two things I'm certain about with these games. Yes, the Steelers are, are the one team where I just can't imagine an upset coming. But, you know, the, the other questions, like, 
I think people are pretty certain in the NFC. I think for the most part, they're certain that it's going to be Green Bay and Tampa Bay in a rematch for the NFC Championship game. But I would ask, can Tampa Bay get back there with what they've lost at receiver throughout this season with Godwin and Antonio Brown no longer available? Um, And can they get there without a consistent run game? The Jets were the only team with fewer rushes than the Tampa Bay Bucks this season. They rely on the arm of Tom Brady, who, by the way, became the oldest quarterback in NFL history to lead the league in passing yards and touchdown passes thrown. Remarkable season for the GOAT. But I ask, is that sustainable to get them back to the Super Bowl and have the chance to repeat as champions? Uh, Besides Derrick Henry, who's going to be returning in a couple of weeks, which running back in these playoffs has the potential to take a game over? Jonathan Taylor's been eliminated. Can you name the two players in, in the NFL this year, Chad? One's not surprising. One is, at least to me, because he wasn't talked about enough. The two players who had 20 or more touchdowns this season, individually. 20 or more touchdowns, Jonathan Taylor. Right. And I was going to guess Cooper Cup, but that's not going to be Cooper the case because he's leads, talked about enough. He leads the receivers when touchdown receptions, but it doesn't reach 20. Austin Eckler. Really? Both players are at home for the playoffs. Think about that. The two players who individually scored the most from the running back position aren't in the playoffs with anything to show for it. And the teams didn't capitalize on it. That's crazy to me. It's crazy. Disproportionate love to results. The Colts lead the the league in that, I think, this year. Um, I'm going to put the Chargers and Staley there as well. Justin Herbert rightfully gets a lot of shine for the Chargers. And he was terrific last night. He had 64 pass attempts in that game. But he was terrific in that comeback and all the fourth down completions. Yes. And he made some throws that three, four people in the league could probably make uh, in that game, in that comeback, that not a lot of people could could, could do. But the fact that they're home, I, I, I also see the Chargers as an overhyped group last night. And I think Staley's a little bit overhyped uh, as well. Um it is it is crazy though. Someone just asked the question, you know, if it were the Chiefs that were the one seed, would we be saying that it's a wide open AFC? Um, I think yes. I think it's wide open because it's wide open. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think it, it's not because the Titans are the number one seed or anything like that or disrespect the Titans. It's Titans, and we probably I think most people would have said this coming into the season. Who are the three top contenders in the AFC? It would have been in some order: Buffalo, Kansas City, Tennessee. And guess what? Well, in the top, regardless was, of seating, who are we talking about in the AFC right now? Titans, Chiefs, Bills. Right. And the, the question was More going into the season: Could the Titans close the gap? Were they were they deserving of being mentioned with the Chiefs and the Bills? That that was the preseason discussion, and wholeheartedly, yes, we saw the head-to-head matchups during the season there, and that's why it would it would remain wide open. And look, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, is fortunate and unfortunate in what I'm about to say because he is compared against his own greatness, which is a high standard and a high bar to meet season in and season out. But Mahomes had eight games this season with a completion percentage of 62% or worse. Uh, we, the, the Chiefs and the Titans turned the football over among the teams in the playoffs more than anybody. And 
he only had five 300-yard passing games this season. Last season, he had nine. I mean, they, they were just not spinning it at the rate that we've seen. And their defense came on late, uh, not late, midway through the season, uh, right after the, the Titans' performance where they lost. And they, they turned it on. It's very similar to the 2019 team, although they weren't having to win in shootouts. Now the defense has cranked it up and the offense isn't scoring at nearly the high rate as what we've seen. The question is, can they get that ball rolling again? Uh, where, again, it, it was a dogfight in Denver on the final week of the season. I, look, I, even Green Bay, who I think unanimously would be, if you polled everybody, who's going to represent the NFC, the Packers are an easy selection. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is the elite of the, the quarterbacks. He and Brady are the elite guys. But... There's really nothing about Green Bay other than their quarterback, and he means a, a lot. Who's the MVP? Yeah, um, and, and some people may vote Brady. I don't think it's going to be a landslide uh, with what one way or the other, but again, it, it's Rodgers to me and everyone else for that vote. Other than Rodgers, there's not a lot that just jumps off the page to you with, with Green Bay. They, just, they are great at controlling games which is very hard to indicate on a piece of paper or a stat sheet. But they, they control the games that they play, and that's beneficial, especially the fact that they don't lose at home at Lambeau. But just you know, going through, um, no quarterback was sacked more than Joe Burrow this season. It's very hard to, to pick the Cincinnati Bengals to make a run. Although, going back to my point about how wide open it is, they have two receiving threats now. The, rookie, the offensive rookie of the year, Higgins, who has become uh, an excellent player over the second half of the season. Uh, a Bengals defensive front that had one last sack on the season than the Titans did. Just to put that in perspective, the Titans had 43 sacks. I believe the Browns did as well. And then right behind them is the Bengals. The Bengals really jumped up in that category from last season. They've really helped themselves in the pass rush. And they can get to the quarterback with four. And then they also have Joe Mixon that can run the football effectively. Um so they have a lot of answers, but they also have questions with their pass protection and whether or not they can keep their quarterback upright. And then, again, the turnovers, Pittsburgh Steelers, they have one of the worst offenses, or the worst offense, as I think through it now, of the seven AFC teams available. Um, I think the two better teams were eliminated yesterday of the true playoff-type caliber teams in the Colts and the Chargers. But the Steelers and the Raiders treated yesterday more like a playoff performance than those teams did. And it was win in advance in both situations. So long-range forecast right now has Orchard Park, New York at 17 degrees and a 50% chance of snow on Saturday night against the Patriots. The Bills finally finding some semblance of a rushing attack. I'm curious what that means for the Bills, where they're going to see some bad weather. Because that was the big issue with Josh Allen having to try to throw it into the wind. We talked about that game from 1947 yeah. that we saw recently yeah. where the Patriots were better equipped to run the ball all but three times and win in a slugfest uh, up in Buffalo. Buffalo's very dangerous. We know that. Josh Allen, uh, a true dual-threat quarterback. Defense is really good. But Hutton, I am curious... When you look at Buffalo starting to get something going with the, the rushing attack, what that means for them in these playoffs? Well, Singletary is very flashy. Uh, I think he had like 
a, a little under 80 yards yesterday to finish uh, against the Jets. Uh, but he, he's been consistent in the run game over the last three to four weeks. Uh, Burrow dropped off right after the injury. Or not Burrow, excuse me. Allen dropped off right after the injury. Um, both banged up, both immobile at times. And uh, Josh Allen has that back now. He can. He is as mobile of a quarterback that remains in the postseason. Um, uh, streaky, too. But there have been... There have been inconsistencies with him throwing the football over the last couple of weeks with Allen at the helm. I the, the thing that I keep going back to and that everyone will point to is their defense. If you start looking at their elite defense at all three levels and the categories where if they're not number one, they're two or three in the NFL and all the different uh, categories you want to measure a defense by, they're right at the top. I think they can shut down any NFL offense. At the same time, I think the Bills offense can be shut down too because of how streaky they are and how, at times, they're just sloppy. So are they capable of putting together a run? Absolutely. And are they capable of, when they turn it on, truly dominating? Yes. If you look at point differential, I think the Packers ended the season with around a four or five point differential. Uh, per game on average. The Titans, number the other number one seed, they were around a three or a four. And they're the number one seeds. The Bills, 11 and a half was their average. That's remarkable considering how the ebbs and flows of the season went for them. They, they, they can still be dominant and they're still a team to, to buy in with because they have a elite caliber quarterback. But again, we haven't seen him do it on the road. I, I think the question about Josh Allen and the Bills won't be at home. I think it'll be on the road. And to their benefit, we are all riding high on how the, the Patriots performed the last time they were in Orchard Park. Well, they limp into the postseason. I mean, there, there's not much about New England that has been very good. They started 2-4, and four, then they won seven straight, which included that win over Buffalo, and they closed the season one and three. Well, Mac Jones looked like a rookie yesterday, a bad rookie yesterday. He, he was bad. Well, and Belichick treated him like a rookie yeah, when they won against Buffalo. I don't buy much into uh, organizational trauma. I saw this as someone arguing, well, don't bet on Cincinnati because they haven't won a playoff game since the 1990 season. Well, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Joe Mixon, they don't care about the 1990 Cincinnati Bengals or right. the, how long it's been. That's not going to be a factor in these playoffs. I do, though, wonder about Buffalo getting New England and Bill Belichick in the first round. And if you want to talk about some organizational trauma for decades against a team that's been great in the AFC East, a team that's had their moments in the AFC East, but ultimately, normally, pales in comparison to the great Bill Belichick Patriots organization, that was a big moment. The weather derailed it, but that was a big moment when they faced off in that Monday night football game, and Belichick got the best of Sean McDermott and the Bills in a bad weather game that night. They battled back. That was in the midst of this sort of free fall for New England where they lost at home to Buffalo, and they were terrible in Miami yesterday. But that is one where I, I would ponder the question of does organizational trauma against a certain coach because these players have felt it 
and they saw it, and you saw the frustration after that loss to New England on Monday Night Football earlier this year, does that play into it enough? Hutton, I just don't think so because even if it's 17 degrees and a 50% chance of snow, as long as you don't get some crazy win game, you're not going to be able to run it all but three times and beat Buffalo again, right? And then it comes down to Josh Allen, Mac Jones, who has the weapons to get it done in a game where you can throw a little bit. And to me, that's Buffalo all day, every day. Well, uh, we saw what happened whenever Buffalo sees Mac Jones throw it against their defense. They blew him out. Yeah. And, and the game in, in New England a couple of weeks ago, he attempted 30 passes, 30 plus passes, and the Bills smoked them. So I, I'm intrigued by the adjustments made to their passing game. Uh, and can they get, can they finally get both tight ends involved? Speaking of the Patriots with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. It's either it's been either or, and it's been mainly Hunter Henry, and they use Jonu Smith more for the the blocking side of things, more of the run game and some some sweeps and other things, and how they distribute the football to him. I think the two tight end play against the the Bills defense is is the matchup that determines the game, uh, not Mac Jones. I think the, the the players around him are going to have to elevate the overall play. I'm with you though; it's a fascinating matchup because of the familiarity with both of those franchises. Uh, Speaking of familiarity, Alabama and Georgia. When we come back, we'll talk with Trey Wallace. We'll be live in Indy first, though. FanDuel.com with an offer for you. FanDuel.com slash OK360. If you uh, have not uh, joined up at FanDuel.com, you can right now with a very special offer for our season ticket holders. You bet $5 to win $150 on either team to win the college football championship this evening. You can take Georgia or Alabama in just the straight money line, which means you log in, you you deposit $10. As your first-time bet, you can bet up to $5 on either team just to win the game. There's no spread involved here. You pick Georgia or Alabama to win. If you win, you win $150. That offer available for first-time users. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Trey Wallace is next. Live from Indy. Live from Bama and Georgia, next on Outkick 360. Championship night for college football. SEC title game, part two. Have we seen this play out already? We have. Are we expecting the same result? We'll get to that in a moment. Trey Wallace joins us on Outkick 360 as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com is live in Indianapolis where Georgia and Alabama face off tonight. Trey, hope you're doing well. Hope the weekend was nice for you there. Heard it was cold. It was uh, it was freezing. Yeah, it's about <laughs> nine degrees. So it, it is what it is. I'll, I'll take it. A lot of a uh, lot of lot of sweatshirts and whatnot. But hey, it, it was good. And uh, the lead up to the game, I, I thought Indianapolis did a good job of of putting this thing together. You know, still can't get over the whole plane on a Monday type of deal, but whatever. That's a discussion for another day. But yeah, we're get, we're getting closer to kickoff. Already been around the area a little bit. Georgia fans, Alabama fans, they're drunk. It's going to be a fun night. Who has represented their team better so far around Indy? If you combine the weekend and everything you've seen today, Alabama or Georgia? I would have to say Georgia. 
there are a lot of Georgia fans here. And you can tell by the barking, by the way, on, on the street. <laughs> uh, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's be clear. Right, which is, which ridiculous. is ridiculous. Yes. It is what it is. Uh, but no, it, it seems like there's a lot of Georgia fans here. And, and look, maybe that changes when I get near the stadium here in about 30 minutes. But, you know, right now, over the last two or three days, Georgia fans have been flocking in. Uh, their band is staying here. They they broke out last night. The marching band started playing the fight song. Like it just, it feels like a Georgia atmosphere. And, and maybe that's going to change here a little bit. But right now, they've taken over this city. So tell us about the media accommodations because I've seen some posts uh, with this media workroom. I must say, Trey, that we go to Indy every year for the combine, and the media workroom looks nothing like what they have for the college football national championship game. You know, it's. I was surprised. I walked in and I was like, you know, I see this 500-inch television or whatever you want to call it, and I'm like, okay, you know, if I hit the lottery one day, that would be really cool for my man cave. But, I mean, they, they do a fantastic job. I mean, it's 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 interesting how they put it together. They got pinball, they got ping pong, they got uh, skeet ball, whatever you want to call it. It's, 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 an, it's an interesting way that they do put it together and the amount of money that they spend. I mean, you... I went out to to Hinkle Fieldhouse just for a minute uh, the other day, and they had branding and logos, you know, seven miles outside of town in spots where you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think. So the amount of money that the committee puts into these games, it's it's astronomical, and you know they're hoping it pays off tonight when it comes to TV ratings, people talking about it. So that's what they're hoping for. So we're, we'll we'll see, but it's been uh, it's been pretty cool how they put it all together. Trey Wallace with us, outkick.com, SEC writer. Trey, Georgia's defense has upwards of 15 players uh, who we could see in the NFL next season. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable, the talent that they have. With that in mind, and what you have seen from them, covering them and following them throughout the season, and really the quarter and a half that they let down against Alabama and Atlanta, do you think they right some wrongs and correct some issues to where they rebound and perform more like the Georgia defense we have seen all season? Or do you go into this matchup thinking that Saban and O'Brien and everyone else involved with that offense has a piece to the puzzle that Georgia's defense can't solve? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you on the on the quarter and a half. I think when you look at a guy like N'Kobe Dean and, and he, you know Jordan Davis along the line of scrimmage, Roman Smith, I think these players understand where they screwed up in Atlanta. I think that's the best way to put it. So you go back and you look what they did against Michigan and how they were able to come out and perform, put pressure on the quarterback, you know, not let Cade McNamara get outside the pocket and scramble. But here's the biggest thing that they did. They finished plays. They didn't do that against Alabama the first time around. You know, They didn't bring Bryce Young down in the backfield when they had an opportunity to, and they let him scramble for 10, 15 yards or, or make a throw down the field. Like they had the setup against Alabama the first time around, and especially the way they were blitzing. But the problem is when you don't get home, when you're letting these guys, you know, get 20 to 30 yards when they should only get five, um, you're setting yourself up for a bad day when it comes to the overall defensive performance. So, Jonathan, I, I think they've learned from where they were at. I think Nick Saban and Bill O'Brien, yeah, they're going to have something ready for them. But I expect Dan Lanning's going to dial up a bunch of blitzes tonight that they haven't seen before. So I'm interested for the matchup. You know, and, and the adjustment in the SEC championship game was uh, 
get the ball out of Bryce Young's hand quickly, right, against that Georgia front, and it, and it worked. No sacks for Georgia in that game. Um, and that was coming off a really bad performance by the BAM offensive line uh, against, uh, against Auburn. But I am curious, just coaching matchup, Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban, and we know the history between these two guys coming into it. Can you overthink this if you're Kirby Smart? This is a game ultimately played by players. And as crazy as it sounds for a team that just lost 41-24, Georgia has the players over Alabama. Is simplifying things and not overthinking it and not trying to outmaster the master, is that key for Kirby Smart in a game like this? If they play defense like they did for most of the season, for 12 games where they were unstoppable, then you're good. You're not overthinking anything. If you go into that game like you get against Alabama the first time around and you think you have to dial up different things to get after Bryce Young, and I get it, it's a different type of quarterback. But if they go back and they play the same way that they played against Will Levis, against K.J. Jefferson, uh, against Bo Nix, you know, the, the way that they were able to put pressure on them, you don't need to do anything different. I get that it's Bryce Young. I get that it's Brian Robinson Jr. But to me, Chad, when you look at this thing overall and how it plays out, why switch up something you've already had success with? I get that Alabama does things a little bit differently, and that's okay. But they don't have Mechie in this game. They've got Jamison Williams. I'm interested to see how Alabama tests Georgia's secondary deep. So why change up too terribly much when you're going into this matchup when it worked for most of the game in Atlanta besides that quarter and a half where things kind of got away, the Georgia offense put them in bad positions. I think in this situation, I agree with you, Kirby wants this game so badly, and he won't say it in public, but he wants this game so badly that if you go into this thing and you're sitting there with Dan Landing and you're thinking of – it remind, here, here's what it reminds me of. Jeremy Pruitt – I know this is a crazy correlation. Jeremy Pruitt used to do this in practice during the week. On a Thursday, he would think of something that just came up in his head. He'd, he'd tell an assistant to get a whiteboard. He'd come up there, and they'd draw up a new defensive scheme on a Thursday. It'd be eight or nine plays. And he said, okay, let's know this by Saturday. That's the kind of situation I hope Kirby Smart didn't put himself into this week, where they're trying to do too much when everything before them worked. You know, so I, I look at this matchup and I think, okay, if they come out and they just do what they prepared to do, and if Jordan Davis can get some push along that defensive line and that opens up room for N'Kobe Dean to come after the quarterback, then that's how you're set up. Don't don't overcomplicate this thing tonight, even though Bill O'Brien's going to try to dink and dive you you know, any way possible, maybe something new. But if you just set in your ways, man, I I think Kirby and and Dan Lanning, I think they'll have this defense ready to go, and this is an opportunity for them to shine. Trey Wallace with us of Outkick.com. Trey, Georgia was able to dictate matchups with Cook against Michigan's defense. Can they do the same tonight against Alabama's defense? Can, Can Saban and company be fooled in that way? Do you? I guess what I'm saying is, do we see a couple plays where a linebacker's matched up on Cook outside? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're going to have to. I think at, at, at times, we here's the biggest thing with Georgia. You know, they use Brock Bowers so much. Um, and if they don't get out there and they don't establish a running game, let's just say they go back to what they did, you know, in the title game where they only ran the ball 18 times. You're going to have you're going to have Cook out of the backfield. You're going to have to find him ways. You're going to have to find Zamir White out of the backfield. 
a lot of dump downs if it needs to, a lot of openings in the middle of the field. Uh, you know, if if I am, you know, whatever, not an offensive coordinator, but if I'm, you know, this offense tonight, I would attack Henry Toa Toa across the middle of the field. Um, you're going to have openings because Alabama's going to bring it all out at times. And it's all about if Stetson Bennett could find that guy down the field or if he could find that guy across the middle of the field in that open area. There's going to be t- there's going to be those spots tonight. And it's if Georgia can actually take advantage of those situations, I think that's going to be the biggest point of this ballgame. And that would come back to Stetson Bennett. How can he read the defense? What are they going to bring? Will Anderson, okay, he's going to be a beast tonight. We know that. But it's about how Stetson Bennett can get away from that and find his, you know, the wheel route that they ran against Michigan three times. You know, can you pick that off at the right time against the Alabama defense? I think that's going to be key tonight how they play this because you go, both guys know this. They're going to be zeroing in on Brock Bowers tonight, okay? And if they can maybe get George Pickens out there, you know, if he's good enough to run five or six great routes and receptions tonight, that's another avenue this Georgia offense can go down. And I know you wrote about it, but you could probably play a drinking game tonight to how many times the broadcast mentioned Stetson Bennett's flip phone uh, that he switched to this offseason. That's going to be one uh, that's going to be talked about a lot tonight. Um, but to, to, to correlate the two, uh, this could be a flip phone type game plan for Georgia if Stetson Bennett can make some splash plays down the field. Like you mentioned, Trey, like we saw uh, against Michigan. Uh, so much of this comes back to when the game is put on Stetson Bennett's shoulders, can he come through against uh, a, a very good Alabama team? We saw it throughout the season. There's a reason Georgia's favorite in this game, even though they just lost 41-24. They've been the better team all year, other than that one game head-to-head with Alabama against Nick Saban. So gut feeling going into this game. What you know about Stetson Bennett, what you've seen, what you saw in the last outing, does he have what it takes to make the winning plays when they present themselves? I think he does. I think, look, he has played in some big games this year, even in the conference. You know, he's 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 pulled Georgia out of some scenarios where, okay, most of the time they're going to run the football, but there's a couple times we saw it against Michigan where he did fantastic in the pocket on play action, he found his guys in stride down the sideline. Um, I think this is a game where Stetson Bennett can fully capitalize himself as, okay, you know what? I am the Georgia guy. I am, you know, we've, we've seen all the stories, okay? But if he can win this thing tonight, talk about legendary status. I was having this conversation with somebody last night. A kid like Stetson Bennett, a walk-on, coming in to be where he's at in this spot right now and leading his team to a title – I think when you look at it, he can do enough to get the job done tonight, Chad. I think you're going to see him come out, perform like he did against Michigan, test them deep, see if they can beat him. I was I, I thought the way he performed against Michigan was a great sign that he can rebound from the Alabama loss and perform on a big stage. The question is, can he rebound from the Alabama defeat to step up to also beat Alabama? Uh, he's accomplished the first task of going back to the national stage and rising to the occasion. Uh, but there will be some other tricks to what the Bama defense will present him as well. And that's a that's a fascinating storyline tonight. We'll know fairly early on, Trey. I'm interested to see if they throw JT Daniels in there just to throw a little wrinkle every now and then. I, I know it's going to be – I know it sounds weird, but, 
you know, what if they did throw in a gunslinger for a series or two? If if Stetson's maybe not getting it going or something along those yeah. lines, what if you catch Alabama off guard and you throw JT in there? And we've seen it before. Tua hurts, hurts Tua. We've seen this type of switch before. So maybe they try to catch him off guard. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they're gonna. there's no reason to leave anything on the sideline tonight. Give it all at Alabama. Let them try to figure out how they're going to deal with it because you only get – this is it. You only get one opportunity at this. And, and, and for Kirby Smart, you've got to win tonight. You've got – in my opinion, right now, Georgia has the better talent than Alabama. Maybe not at the quarterback spot, but at the other positions, Georgia has the better talent. If you don't take advantage of it now, when are you going to take advantage of it? Well, and it's a, it's a, you're right, and it's a game full of superstars, of future Sunday players on both sides of the ball. Georgia's defense is stacked with them when you're looking at superstar factor. Bryce Young is the superstar of this game uh, offensively. But the guy I want to ask about is Brock Bowers of Georgia because I feel like he is the ultimate X factor, and he is an emerging superstar in college football. How big do you think he can be tonight against this Bama defense? He's got to be big. I mean, it, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, before the season started, you know, we 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 heard some things on Brock Bowers, and then all of a sudden, you know, he just starts showing out. And and the way that he's able to get open too, it it's like he's you know, it's like he's playing wide receiver. To be honest with you, you don't see so too many tight ends play the way that he does. I, I think he's going to be key for Stetson because he him and Stetson are comfortable with each other. It seems like they have that connection. They know where that read's going to be. They know where he's going to be at. You know, if he needs him along the sideline, he can need him. If he needs him for six yards across the middle, he's going to be able to get open. I think the biggest thing with Brock Bowers is tonight is drawing more defenders. Because if he can draw two across the middle, you're getting one-on-one on the outside. That's where I'm interested to see if Georgia can take advantage. So does Kirby Smart – use him, Todd Mocken use him as a decoy at times? I would hope so, because that's a game plan that you can go forth, and I think you can actually succeed with, especially if you're trying to catch Alabama sleeping for those 30 to 40 yard you know, fades down the sideline, whatever you want to call them. I think that's where he could come into a big factor tonight, and um, you know, don't be surprised if you see some trick plays or two. Something that catches Alabama off guard, but using Brock Bowers in that instance. So He's very key tonight to what George is going to do. And, and if he doesn't have seven, eight receptions, uh, I don't see how Georgia gets the job done. So one, um, one non-game question I want to ask you about that came about this week because Nick Saban commented on this uh, was about uh, NIL and its impact uh, on the game. And um, he talked about intentions with NIL and then what it's become. Both Nick Saban and Kirby Smart calling for more regulation when it comes to NFL or NIL because you're going to have this big imbalance. People laughed and said, well, coach, we already have the imbalance. It's you at Alabama and what's gone on. Um, but I read it as if you think it's bad now, it's only going to get worse for programs like mine because we will dominate in NIL. Texas A&M is going to dominate. You need government regulation or we're going to continue winning at an even bigger clip and getting all the players. How did you take it, Trey? I took it as a threat, kind of like you were talking about to other schools. Like, okay, you guys want to continue playing like this? You, you want to set these rules up? You don't want to have regulations? Okay, we're going to take advantage of it. And we're going to bring even better talent. Because you know what? 
USC starting to do things with NIL. You know, Texas has got this huge fund that they're using. A&M is doing. We, we saw what A&M has done. Other schools are catching on. But here's the thing. If you're going to mess around with Alabama long enough, they're going to come back to bite you. And they're going to bite you in a big way when it comes to this NIL. Because, you know, I don't think we'll ever know how much Bryce Young has made this year when it comes to NIL money. But I promise you some of these high-powered recruits know and they're going to start using that when it comes to getting guys on Alabama's campus. I mean, you know, we, we, we've we seen this thing play out. And I get, you know, Kirby and Saban, like, okay, you know, we got to have some regulations to this. You know, there, there's got to be somebody in control and looking over this thing. But, Chad, I mean, I, I agree with you. I took it more as, hey, look, if you don't try to slow us down or if you don't look at how things are being run, not saying they're doing anything illegal. But what I am saying is, is that when you look at this thing overall in two to three years, it's gonna the market's going to be shifting in Alabama and Georgia's favor, and 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 teams like A and M, they're going to take advantage of this. So teams like Tennessee or you know Kentucky, South Carolina, whatnot, they're going to get left behind. So it's just it's just a matter of. What are the conferences going to do to look over this thing? Because Alabama, they're ready. They've got the money. The boosters have set up the money through the NIL. Same thing with Georgia. So I took it, Chad. Yeah, it's a warning. College football, watch out. If you don't want to regulate us, we're going to destroy you. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com has been our guest. He's live in Indy and he'll have full coverage coming up tonight at the website uh, involving Alabama and Georgia, the game story, recaps, columns, and more. Trey, appreciate you, man, and uh, we'll catch up later this week. Enjoy the game. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, Heading over to the stadium now. We'll have coverage all evening for you at Outkick.com, and uh, you guys have a great day. You too, man. Can't wait to see all of it. Thanks, Trey. Follow Trey on Twitter at TreyWallace underscore. TreyWallace from Outkick.com. Coming up, our standing ovations for the NFL weekend. Who performed at a level that deserves the shout-out that isn't getting much recognition because of all of the coverage about the playoff matchups and Black Monday involving all the coaching changes across the NFL. We've got those top performers next on OutKick 360. Time for our top performers of the NFL weekend, and it sets up the playoff field. Welcome back to OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. We are live from 6th and Peabody in Nashville, Tennessee with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK back with us, hopefully tomorrow. A bit under the weather today uh, as he arrived back from Houston covering the Titans and Texans. We'll get uh, a recap of the Titans locking up the number one overall seed. Take a look at the AFC playoff picture. Compare it to the NFC. That's coming up in hour number three. Uh, first, though, props to TJ Watt and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they make the playoffs, and TJ Watt is going to be your defensive player of the year. Uh, he surpasses, um, and and uh, he's now the, the sack leader for the for the NFL. Um, a no brainer with the vote now. Uh, when you tie the official record for sacks with Michael Strahan, uh, twenty two and a half. He did that yesterday uh, in that overtime win against Baltimore. It's expected he did it in the the final week of the the regular season, the longest season. He also missed two games throughout the course of the season. If you just want to compare stats to stats with Strahan, a remarkable year for TJ Watt, who is going to be the defensive player of the year. Wish he would have gone into that 16th game. 
instead of the 17th, but a remarkable year nonetheless, and he is, I think you're right, Hutton, defensive MVP. Uh, I, I feel bad for Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons, who on Saturday, if he played against Philly, would have had the opportunity to break Javon Curse's rookie sack record. And going into the final week of this regular season, uh, they they opted to to rest him and preserve him for the postseason. So Micah Parsons did not get that chance, but deserves mention because I think he would be in the T.J. Watt camp right now with owning that record. With the extra game, that record's going to fall. But Parsons has elevated Dan Quinn's defense. Dan Quinn and Micah Parsons, that addition to that Dallas group defensively. Um, I, I heard on the broadcast, they're like 100. I'm, I'm averaging here. They're like 130 points better defensively this year compared to last year. That's remarkable. And they're getting after the quarterback. They're affecting the quarterback. And they've got Diggs who's creating all those turnovers. I said earlier that the Colts lost to the Jags says a lot more about the Colts uh, than it does the Jags. I stand by that. But I want to give a standing ovation to one person from Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, who was pretty good yesterday. 72%, 223 yards, two touchdowns. Most importantly, no turnovers in the game for Trevor Lawrence. It was a miserable first year. Most of that is not the fault of Trevor Lawrence. It's because he plays for a clown show organization with no offensive cohesion and no clue what they were even attempting to do all season. But he went out on a high note and showed some of that potential that everyone knows that he has. So kudos to Trevor Lawrence in that performance, being efficient, doing exactly what was needed to beat Indianapolis and knock them out of the playoffs. Props to Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, who helped lead that comeback yesterday against the Rams, the overtime win for the 49ers. They're in the postseason. The 49ers are among the the hottest teams going in to the playoffs, if you just look at the last two months and how they've been playing. And out of the halftime locker room, they just look like a different team, offensively and defensively. And and Jimmy G led that game-time drive, 83 yards with like a minute and a half left, 83-yard scoring drive. Uh, to go get points, and then the 12-play drive in overtime. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who was questionable going into the game with the thumb injury and has missed the the previous week after the loss on Thursday Night Football here in Nashville, missed the game with the Texans, starts yesterday and is now 39-20 and 20 as the starter at San, at San Francisco. Doesn't get talked about enough for what he does on the field, uh, and that's win games for what the 49ers are doing. A, a dangerous team to watch out for as they go on the road this week to face Dallas. And uh, finally, uh, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup, who hit the uh, the trifecta for wide receivers uh, this season, Chad, in the final standings. He won the triple crown, as they say, the NFL. He's just the fourth player since 1970 to lead the NFL in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. And he pulls that feet off uh, this season. By the way, we thought he could be, and he was on pace at one point, to be just under the 2,000-yard mark and would become the first uh, NFL wideout with the 2,000-yard receiving season. He finished the year with 1,947 receiving yards, the second most all-time. And uh, that's behind Megatron. So, unbelievable year for Cooper Cup in L.A., despite the loss yesterday. And I should also point out the two rookie receivers, Chase and Waddle set rookie receiving records 
in the final week of the season. Crazy to think about Jimmy G's record with the 49ers, the fact that he's probably not going to be a 49er with Trey Lance as their draft pick, and the market for him moving forward, what's it going to be? And also, I'm watching that game again, and uh, I'm, I'm watching Matthew Stafford, who was good, large part of the game, and I see the late interception. I'm thinking, are we really buying Matthew Stafford leading this team on a run in the playoffs? I'm not. No, his past three games, he has eight turnovers. And his last nine games, he's thrown 13 interceptions. And that's not a recipe for success in the postseason. He can big arm. They can have big plays. They can beat anybody. And the turnover problem that they have offensively means that teams can knock them off uh, throughout this playoff run. It's Rams and Cardinals on Monday night. We talk top of the AFC and the Titans next on Outkick 360.